0: Isaiah, chapter number 40, verse 25. To whom then will ye liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power. Not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord? And my judgment is passed over from my God. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings as eagles they shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint it's a beautiful late summer day just last august i believe it was and tabitha and i were in the north woods of michigan and i don't know how many of you have been to the um, training center uh, up there, where I spoke um, at a family conference, and uh, Tabitha and I were going out for a walk on this beautiful grounds. I mean, if you've ever been up to the North Woods, it's it's a little bit like, obviously, northern Minnesota. The Boundary Waters, just forests, water, woods. It just is absolutely gorgeous. And we were going out on this walk um, where this lake is uh, up there, and we happened to notice up in the sky an eagle. And this eagle was not so far up in the sky. It seemed to be looking down at, at the water, perhaps. Um, and we just kind of stopped, and we just watching this eagle. And it started going up. And you know what I'm talking about. You probably all have watched an eagle catch a thermal. And it just circled and kept on going up and up and up. It wasn't flapping its wings. It wasn't moving its wings. Its wings were just spread, its tail fanned out. And it kept on going up and up and up until we could barely, I mean, it was just like a speck up in the sky. And it seemed to happen like that. Now, in scientific terms, what happened was it caught what's called a thermal. When the sun heats certain areas of the ground, it emits heat. And birds catch that heat like an eagle it, 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 it is able to sense when that hot air is doing and it just goes up and up um, now birds aren't the only ones who have have figured this out it was a wonderful time I was able to go with my uncle Paul Fink on uh, his glider and he was explaining to me it's the same thing with those who fly gliders and we went way up in the air and trying to find those um, those thermals and 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 get them um, to go way up above the ground it's, it's a thrilling thing now, that picture to you is familiar, not just in a physical sense, because probably all of us have watched that before, at least some kind of bird elevate up with no flapping of their wings, but it's, it's really familiar in a biblical sense, Because this verse that we read today in Isaiah 40, 31, is one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. And this picture comes of this eagle on a thermal, not flapping its wings, not expending energy, but just going up and up and up and up. And it is a thrilling picture to us. But I want to ask you today is, is it just a picture that is hanging on your wall? What I mean by that is there's a difference between how many different motivational posters have we seen from, from Isaiah 40, 31? It's got that eagle on it, it's over a nice forest, and there's that nice Bible verse, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with winds of eagles, and you put it on your wall, and you say, that's, that's a great picture but there's a difference between looking at the picture of an eagle on a wall and being the eagle. Do you agree? There's a difference between looking at the picture on the wall and being the picture. If you've ever read um, the Chronicles of Narnia or seen the films that uh, that were made off that book, you remember in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, the two youngest Pevensey children are there with that crabby cousin, Eustace. And they're looking at this picture of the, this Narnian ship in their house. And in C.S. Lewis's telling, suddenly they literally enter into the picture. They go into the picture. The picture becomes alive. And suddenly they're in the ocean swimming. And they need to get picked up by this Prince Caspian, this, this, this Narnian ship. And what I want to do this morning is ask us to enter into the picture. Not just look at the picture on the wall and say, that's a beautiful picture of that eagle floating around up there. But to enter into the picture and to realize that you can be the eagle. I can be the eagle. That I can catch a divine thermal in my daily life that lives my life soaring. Notice that this in verse 31 is a promise. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That's not a a, a maybe. That is a certainty. They shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Now, maybe a good question to begin with today is would anyone describe your spiritual life this morning as soaring soaring? like an eagle? Would anyone describe, most importantly you, in your own conscience, would you say, my spiritual life is more often soaring than not? Why does it seem like it's so often the opposite? We're dragging along. Have you ever seen those videos of an, of an eagle that catches a fish, uh, that fish that is too heavy for it? To fly off with? Do you know that eagles will sometimes swim through the water with their wings to get to shore because they just don't want to give up that big a fish? Doesn't that sometimes seem like our spiritual life? Lugging off something way too heavy for us and we're getting all waterlogged and wet and it's hard work and we're swimming against a current? God says, You can soar. Notice the next picture. They shall run and not be weary. Notice one picture is soaring, one picture is running, like when you need to exert a lot of energy at some point in your life or in your Christian life, and the Bible says that you can run and not be weary. What about this? They shall walk and not faint. Now, walking is way more enduring than running. Any runner has to stop eventually. Running is for special exertions that we make, but walking is what? Walking is just the ordinary duties of life. Left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. Monotony, duty, habit. How many of us get pretty fed up when life just looks like it's an endless left, right, left, right? I do the same thing every day. This duty is just weighing on me. I can't go anymore. I need to let it go. Now notice these pictures, an eagle soaring, someone running without being tired when they need to have a great exertion for a period of time, and then someone in the daily routines of life just walking tirelessly and endlessly, doing what they are called to do day after day, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, no matter how monotonous it gets. Now let me say, again, let me ask, are those pictures of your spiritual life soaring, running tirelessly when the exertion is in front of you and walking enduringly and endlessly in the monotony of life. And if not, I, I know all of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, would say I fall short in these areas. What we need to see is that God has given us a promise. And it is for those who wait upon the Lord. Do you want to soar like an eagle? Do you want to run tirelessly? Do you want to walk endlessly? Wait upon the Lord and you shall do those things. The title of the message this morning is simply waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. And I want together for us to stop looking at this verse as just a nice cute picture on our walls and challenge ourselves by God's grace to enter into the picture And be the eagle, be the runner, be the walker. Now, what does it mean to wait on the Lord? What does it mean to wait on the Lord? We see this picture throughout the Old Testament. And so I want us to use a little bit of study this morning to try to understand what it means to wait on the Lord. But the first study that we need is right here in Isaiah 40. And if you have been here at Straightgate for any length of time, you know that what I repeat over and over again is you cannot understand Scripture accurately unless you understand it in its context. When we take verses out of context and just apply whatever meaning we want, we are so prone to run into error. We understand Scripture best when we understand what is around it. What is the point that the biblical author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is trying to make to his original audience? So we need to ask ourselves, what is going on in Isaiah chapter 40? Now, to do that, I'm just going to give you a very brief overview of the book of Isaiah altogether. Isaiah, perhaps you know, was one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. He is quoted in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament uh, prophet. He is a central messianic prophet pointing ahead to Jesus, encouraging the Hebrew people to look forward to their Messiah. But we just read through the book of Isaiah in our daily Bible reading calendar, and maybe you noticed the first 35 chapters are really dark. You can just break Isaiah into three sections. Chapter 1 through chapter 35 is a lot of judgment. Is there hope in there? Are there messianic promises? Yes, there are. But the overarching theme is that God is judging his people for their sin. God is judging all the nations around them for their sin and God's judgment will come. It will fall, and it will look very grievous. Very grievous. Chapters 36 through 39 are a kind of historical interlude where Isaiah is dealing with Hezekiah and the events of the life of Hezekiah, that righteous king of the southern kingdom of Judah, and Isaiah was prophesying during that time. And ultimately, in chapter 39... Where Isaiah chapter 39 ends, if you'll just look back with me over the chapter divide from chapter 40. Isaiah has prophesied to Hezekiah. Behold, in verse 6. The days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord, and of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. That's not a fun message, is it? The Isaiah 39 ends with the message that that Judah, you're in trouble and God's judgment is coming on you. And then you turn the chapter division to chapter 40 and it all changes, like on a dime. Isaiah 1 through 35, judgment is coming. Isaiah 36 through 39, judgment certainly is coming in this historical snapshot in Hezekiah. It's coming after you die, but it's coming. And then Isaiah 40, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins This is a prophecy looking ahead to speak to those who had received the judgment in Isaiah chapter 39, who had been carried into captivity, and the captivity is over, and they're coming back to their homeland. And they're saying, is there anything in it for me? this God that we worshipped in the Old Testament, Jehovah, the God of our fathers. We have gone through this great suffering. We've gone through this great captivity in a land that was not ours. Is there anything left for us? Or is it all darkness too? And we're not going to do it today, but I just encourage you sometime today to read through Isaiah 40 just carefully and thoughtfully, the whole chapter leading up to, uh, to this great passage that we just read, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. It is God's comfort and encouragement to his people. And it involves the messianic prophecies of Jesus Christ that every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, quote, every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. In verses three and four, we see that repeated over and over in our New Testament. It's a promise of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So again, notice the picture. Isaiah, the first part is prophesying judgment. The the final part of, of Isaiah 40 to the end of the book is God's comfort, is God's encouragement, is God's hope for his people. Now I want you to look ahead to verse 27. Notice the question that God is asking his people. These people who are discouraged by the exile that they've seen. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? These are the people he's telling that if you wait on the Lord, you'll renew their strength. Those are the people. The people who are saying, my way is hid from God. They're the ones who need to hear the words, wait on the Lord. You say, what does that have to do with me? Have you ever felt like God doesn't really know your circumstances? He couldn't know. Have you ever felt like your way is concealed, is hidden from God? It's like there's a curtain and God's not really being a part of it. Life is so tough in a particular area that you say, God is not really seeing my difficulty right now. That's where the, the children of Israel were. That's where the southern kingdom of Judah was. That's where the northern kingdom of Israel was. Does God even see my circumstances? Does he see everything I've gone through? If you've ever been there, I suspect we all have at various points, you're there. Notice what he says next. The question. Why do you say my judgment is passed over from my God? What is my judgment? It's my legal claim. It's what I deserve. It's my right. It's what I am entitled to in life. What what were Israel and Judah saying? They're saying, God, I'm entitled to something in this life. And it seems like it's just, you're just passing it over. The idea there is disregarding it. You're ignoring it. Don't you see, God, I deserve better than I'm getting? Don't you see that I'm entitled to better circumstances in my life? Things are not working out like, like I expected, God. And you're not doing anything about it. How many of us have been at that place in life? All of us, at some point, have said, God, I'm not sure this is working out like I expected it to. And you don't seem to do anything about it. Those are the people who need to hear, wait on the Lord and you will renew your strength. Now, this suggests to me that the first thing we need to understand about waiting on the Lord is first of all, waiting on the Lord requires knowledge about the Lord. That's our first point. Waiting on the Lord requires knowledge about the Lord. Because notice how God responds to this complaint of his people. You don't see my circumstances and you are not giving me what I deserve. I deserve better than this. Notice what he says in the very next verse. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? What's God's response to these people who are complaining like we complain in our daily lives? He's saying, don't you know who I am? Now, he's not saying, don't you know, because they've never heard this before. They undoubtedly had heard all this before about God. What he's telling them is, I want you to really believe something. I want you to embrace knowledge about me. Haven't you heard? Don't you know who I am? In fact, earlier in this passage in Isaiah chapter 40, what is the message that it needs to be sent to his people who have just gone through this very dark time? Look at verse 9 with me of chapter 40. O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. You're discouraged? You're downcast? Behold your God and get some knowledge about him. Learn who he is. Understand what his character is like. And notice the character of God that he wants to bring to mind for these people. Haven't you known, haven't you heard that the everlasting God, the God who is eternal forever, the Lord, you say the Lord, what's that? That's Jehovah. Jehovah is the covenant-keeping God. The covenant-keeping God, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. You say, well, why would that be comforting to someone who said, I don't know if God really sees my circumstances, how hard it is right now, and I don't know if he's ever going to give me what I'm due, what I deserve in this life. Notice what he says. God's a forever God. He sees everything. He's a covenant God. So he's going to keep his word to you. He's going to keep his promises. He's a creator God. That means he has all power to do what he says. He has all power to fulfill his covenant, his promise to you in his relationship with you. And there is no searching of his understanding. Nothing is hidden from him. You can't search out the depth of God's wisdom because his thoughts are much higher than your thoughts and his ways are much higher than your ways. You say, why would that help me to wait on God? Let me give you a really practical example. I want you to imagine that you're at home and that someone you love is coming to pick you up. They have told you, I'm coming to pick you up this afternoon and we're going to go do an event together. And you sit down, you get all ready to go and you wait and they haven't come yet. And you wait some more, and they haven't come yet, and you don't have any text from them. And you wait some more. What is going to keep you waiting? On the other hand, what is going to make you say, I'm not gonna wait anymore. I'm gonna go on with my day. Clearly, clearly, this is not gonna work out. I'm just gonna go do my own thing. One is waiting, and one is no longer waiting. You understand the the, the scenario. Here's one thing that would cause you not to wait anymore. You would say, they forgot. I know that person, I love them, but I know they forgot. They they just forgot about this, and so I'm not going to wait anymore. God says to us, I never forget. So you can wait. I never forget. What would be another reason that you would say, I just give up. I'm not waiting anymore. I'm going to go do something else with my afternoon. You would say, they don't care It's not just that they forgot, it's that, you know what, they found something better to do with their time and they just don't really care about me. You say, okay, I'm not going to wait anymore. I got stood up. God is telling you in Isaiah 40, just like he was telling his people, I'm a covenant God. Not only do I never forget, I always care. It's never because I don't care about you. My understanding is unsearchable and I am the covenant God. What's another reason? that you wouldn't wait anymore, that you would just give up. It would be because you might think that person just doesn't have the ability to get to me. It might be that they're stuck at work. Wives, have you ever been waiting for your husband to get home from work? Oh, I hope I texted. I hope I texted. I hope I texted. That never happens at our house, obviously. He's stuck. Or this Maybe, maybe the car broke down. Something happened. Maybe someone else was using his car or her car and they can't get here. The problem is their lack of ability. And what's God saying to his people? I never get tired. I never get weary. I'm the everlasting God. I'm the creator God. I never lack ability to deliver you. I never lack ability to come through on your behalf. I never forget you. I always care about you. And I always have the power to do what I said I'm, say I'm going to do. God says, you got to know those things about me. Friends, if you want to wait on the Lord, you have to be convinced of those three things. You have to know God, not like a picture on the wall, but someone like you wait for and say, they always come through. And if you don't, you will not know what it is to be like an eagle. You will not know what it is to run and not faint. You will not have the ability to wait on God Because you'll get out. You'll just simply give up. Now, this means this connection I want to draw is between knowing about God and hoping in God. Because knowledge about God always leads to hope in God. Do you remember in, in, in Psalm chapter 27, David is giving this wonderful psalm The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And actually, I just want you to turn over there for just a brief minute, Psalm 27, to see this connection. Psalm chapter 27. Psalm 27, verse 11 says, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies for false witnesses are risen up against me and such as breathe out cruelty he's saying i'm in tough circumstances right now verse 13 says i had fainted unless unless i had believed to see the goodness of the lord in the land of the living what's that hope i believe that i'm yet to see god's goodness and then verse 14 wait on the lord Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. What's our waiting based on? Our hope that God is good and that he will stick to his word. And that's what these people of Israel needed to know. These people of Judah needed to know that God was who he said he was. So first of all, waiting on God requires knowledge about God. But secondly, it requires dependence on God. Dependence on God. Will you look with me next at verse number 29? Notice what he says. There is no searching of his understanding in verse 28. And into verse 29, he giveth power to the faint, to those who are weak, and to them that have no might, no power, he increases strength. And he goes on to say, even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. Now, what is God saying here? He's describing again his character. He delights in giving power to weak people. As Paul said in the New Testament, when I am weak, then I am strong. God does not delight in giving power to those who are exercising their own power and they will claim their glory. God delights in giving strength to people who are humble enough to say, I have no power. I need yours. That's what he delights in doing. Now, what is God saying here in context? I think what we need to understand is this is revealing a tendency for us. When we are not resting in knowledge about God, of who God is, a covenant-keeping God, a creator God, a caring God, and when we're not walking in hope, do you know what we end up doing? We turn to our own strength. That is always what we do We turn to our own insight because we say, I can't trust in God. I can't rely on him. I can't depend on him because I don't know whether he's going to come through. And so do you know what we do? We decide we're going to do it on our own. We're going to do it on our own. Do you know how many people I have seen and probably you have seen as well who have so desperately wanted something that God wasn't giving them that they decided to go and do it their own way? I desperately want to get married, but I don't see any candidates on the horizon. And I know God tells us, don't marry someone who's an unbeliever. But in this circumstance, I think God would want me to have this. And they go ahead and do it to great disaster. Great disaster. What word did they need to hear? What was going on in them? They were missing a knowledge about God, that God cares. That God is the creator, God, who always gives you what you need, who will provide And who will bring his purposes for you. But when I turn away from that truth about God, I go my own way and I decide to do it on my own. And what is this verse revealing to us? Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. What he's saying is the strongest among us are not strong enough for the needs of life. The strongest in youth and in physical strength one day run out of strength. All of us have been there. The strongest of us emotionally will reach a point where our strength is not sufficient for the needs of life. Every single one of us, it's a principle of life that the needs of life will overwhelm us. And God is in a sense saying, I think, to his people, you're not going to find the strength you need in yourself and in your own ways and in your own thinking. If we respond to our doubts about the goodness of God and the character of God in our particular circumstances, we are in grave, grave danger. Do you know, I think one of the most significant examples of this in the Old Testament is a king named Saul. Do you remember Saul? Saul, let me tell you the story. Saul is about to fight a war against the Philistines. And Samuel, the prophet, is the one who is ordained by God to come and offer offerings and seek the will and the favor of God for the battle that he's about to have. And Samuel isn't coming. Samuel hasn't showed up yet. And Saul knows he's supposed to wait for Samuel. But Saul notices that his soldiers are scattering. They're scared, probably, by the battle. Maybe they're just distracted and they're just not focused. And the Philistines are right there in front of him. And Saul says, I'm in trouble. We might lose this battle because Samuel, the prophet of God, isn't showing up. And what does Saul do? He says, I'll just do it myself. He takes the animal. He offers the sacrifice. And just then, guess who shows up? And Samuel tells him, God can't have you as king anymore you forfeited, you forfeited the right to the throne because simply you didn't wait on me. You disobeyed because you decided that you knew better than God. And friends, every single one of us are tempted every single day to think we know better than God when our circumstances get difficult. When life gets challenging and we start feeling weak and we start fainting and we start, start getting discouraged and we start questioning, does God really see my circumstances? Does he really see how hard it is for me right now? Does he really, is he really going to give me what I need and what I deserve? Is, is my judgment passed over from me? Is he just ignoring what's best for me? Whenever we start questioning, we are tempted immediately to, to think we know better than God and to act in a way that he has called us to, not to. He it may be disobeying God, something that he's revealed to us in the Bible. It may just be, God, I'm done with what you've called me to. I'm stepping away. I can't do it anymore. I'm too tired. Whatever it is. Dependence on God in this context is recognizing that whenever I go my own way, it's not going to end up well. It's recognizing that whenever I doubt God and decide to step out of the path that he's had for me, to step out of the race that he's set in front of me, it's not going to work out because my own human strength can never be sufficient. Have we internalized that lesson no matter how hard we're going through things right now? Have we internalized that lesson that the character of God, our knowledge about God is what can give us the hope in God that will allow us to depend on God for what we need to wait patiently for him? You see, our knowledge about God first leads to our dependence on God and finally and thirdly, waiting on God requires our patience for God. Our patience for God. That word wait Is not a fun word. I don't like to wait. Because waiting suggests that something's out of my control, right? Why do I wait? Because I don't have, I can't get what I need right now, so I have to wait on someone else. None of us like waiting. But God says, wait, be patient, be patient. Listen to what Lamentations 3:26 says. It is good that a man should both hope. There's that word we looked at that should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Quietly wait. Why does he say quietly wait? Because sometimes we wait, but it's not quiet. Cuz what do we do when we're waiting? Murmur 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 murmur. Grumble, 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 grumble. In other words, we're waiting because we have to wait, not because we want to wait. We are waiting and complaining because we are not trusting God instead of waiting quietly. In other words, the waiting, the patience that God is putting in front of us here in Isaiah 40 is the waiting of contentment, not the waiting of complaining. Now, I want us to see something here. To quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord is to have the patience that allows us to experience joy while we are waiting. Now think about this for a minute. um, David says in Psalm 131, verse 2, Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. Now you mothers, I want you to think about that. What is a weaned child like? One who is now separated from that time of life where they just look at you as a food machine. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And now they have learned to be content, to wait for their food from a different source. David says, I'm just like that. I'm quiet. I'm waiting. I'm content. Now, I want to give you another picture of children, something that we've seen in our house. Do you know what I've noticed is one of the most central growths in maturity, the biggest shifts for children in maturity? At a certain age in life, a child cannot be uncomfortable and happy. To be uncomfortable is to be unhappy. They're outside and they're cold and that's all they know. I'm cold, I want to be inside. But do you know what happens at a certain maturity level? You see it in children, is they can be uncomfortable and happy because they're doing something fun. When you have a child, maybe a six or a seven-year-old child, and they go out this winter to go sledding, and their toes are freezing, and their fingers are approaching frostbite, but they're going down that hill so fast over and over that you couldn't drag them off that hill. They're uncomfortable, but they're happy, they're content, because they have learned that the fun, the joy, is better than the discomfort. And do you know the exact same thing is true in you and my spiritual maturity? There are Christians in their spiritual life who are spiritually like babies. And when they are uncomfortable, they are unhappy. And it's that simple. And there are mature Christians who can be uncomfortable and happy. Why? Because they have learned to patiently wait and quietly wait on the Lord who gives them contentment, no matter what they're going through right now. Now, we haven't gotten back to this central idea yet. How do we rise up with wings as eagles? How do we run and not be weary? How do we walk and not faint? It's connected to our contentment and our joy. What kind of strength does God give you? The strength to be joyful and keep on going in your difficult circumstances? The strength to be uncomfortable but still happy? Just think of the picture of this eagle soaring. Has the law of gravity decided no longer to apply to that eagle? No, the the law of gravity is still working on that eagle. What's the difference? It's that a greater force is underneath it lifting it up. And the question about you soaring on eagles' wings is not the weight of the force that is pushing you down, the gravity of the circumstances of your life. The soaring that God intends you to get is to get his thermal of power under your wings so much it doesn't matter how much gravity is pushing you down, you'll still soar. And you will only soar And I will only soar when we learn to know about God as he truly is. A God who knows, a God who cares, a God who has all power to do what he's promised. It will only come when that leads us to the hope in God that depends entirely on him and says, God, I will never go at it alone. I cannot do it. I cannot leave your path. Your path is best and then that patiently and quietly and contentedly waits for what God wants to give us. You see, Isaiah chapter 40 is talking with prophetic messianic passages to people who would never see the Messiah in their lifetime. He is giving them long, telescopic-type promises to the future, and he's saying, this is who God is. God is going to do this for you but they would never see it in their lifetime. But God said in your lifetime, in your lifetime, even if you don't see everything that you wish God would give you here in this life, you can still soar. You can still run tirelessly. You can still walk endlessly. Christian, what do you believe about God? not just when times are good, but when times are tough. The more that you focus on how tough your times are, the more you focus on the gravity that is pulling you down in the circumstances of life, the more you are going to be tempted to say, God, do you really care? And by contrast, the more you look to God, the more you trust who God reveals himself to be in the Bible, the more you hope in what God has for you in the future, and the more you learn to patiently wait for him, the more you will understand what it is to receive his power and his strength in any situation. Yes, this is a promise. Today, you can have wings as eagles. I saw a good example of this. I remember people would ask my dad or ask me, how how can your dad do so much? How can he be be so busy and do what he carries on? I can tell you the biggest secret to it. It was because he was a person of unshakable optimism. If you knew my dad, he was a person of unshakable hope in God. He just said, it's going to work out. It's going to be fine. And you know what that allowed him to do? It allowed him to trust God when times were hard to say, it'll be okay. And that empowered him to do what God called him to do. And not all of us are called to be Roger Magnuson. Not all of us are called to be, to do any number of these things, but God has called you to something and he's called me to something. And he said, this is what I want you. This is the race that I have set before you and you can run it tirelessly. You can soar above the gravity, the circumstances, the circumstances, of your life, what does it require? The unshakable faith, the unshakable hope in God and the willingness to just quietly and contentedly and joyfully wait for whatever he has in front of you. You see that eagle, you have that picture on the wall but this week, today, enter into the picture And start waiting on God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this promise. They that wait upon the Lord shall, shall renew their strength. It will be new every day. Father, we desperately need that. I think of what Paul says. Our outward man is perishing, but our inward man is being renewed day by day. Father, this is not a a, a deliverance from any physical fatigue. Your son, when he came to this earth, experienced great physical fatigue. And yet his inner man was renewed day by day. And Father, you intend to allow us to soar above our circumstances by renewing our inner man every day. Renewing our inward man through your word and through your promises and through a confident expectation that you are good and that you have good purposes for us. So Father, enable us to look on you And wait on you. And I pray specifically for those this morning who are going through very difficult circumstances. It could be circumstances in their relationships, in their health, in their job, in their schooling, whatever it is. They are going through hard times. Father, may they wait upon you and trust that what you say about yourself is true. Let's pause for a moment. Are you soaring? Are you running? Are you walking? Would you trust God? Would you repent of your wrong focus, of your unbelief, of your grumbling and complaining? Say, God, I'm ready to hope. I'm ready to wait on you. As we pause with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I also just want to ask, Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation? We can't wait on the Lord until we embrace the gift that he has given us in his son. If you have never done that this morning, we'd love to talk to you and explain from the Bible how you can be saved. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Father, may we come into that promise for ourselves this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.